Let me just begin by saying good morning again now and welcome not only to those of you who are here in the traditional worship sanctuary, but also to those of you who are joining us in the contemporary service right now and also to those of you who are joining us via broadcast. I'm glad that we have the opportunity, all of us, to learn from God's Word together this way. Speaking of which, if you have a Bible with you right now, now would be a great time to get that out or a Bible on your phone or tablet if that's more convenient for you. Also, our ushers in both of our worship venues are going to be bringing Bibles up the aisles right now. If you don't have one with you and you'd like to use one, I'd love for you to be able to follow along and see for yourself in the story as we're learning. So if you'd like to use one, our ushers will be there. You can just uh, use one of the ones they have and you can return it to the back of the room after worship today. Uh, we are reading a passage today that is one of the most famous, I think, one of the most misunderstood, also one of the most ridiculed passages in the Bible. And it's one that I've had the opportunity during this last week actually to have some interaction with some of you on on the table project that we talked about earlier in both of our services, and I'm grateful for that conversation. Thanks for contributing to the way that we learn this together. The passage comes from a conversation, a story that both of our worship services just read, a conversation that Jesus had with a guy named Nicodemus. And it's a, it's a rich story. In fact, as I've been preparing for this day, I thought to myself, I don't know if we could do this justice if we spent five Sundays on this passage. It's so full of meaning and so powerful. But what I'd like to do today is focus on this one line in particular, this one feature of the conversation where, Nicod where Jesus tells Nicodemus that you must be born again. Born again. Which is a, a pretty tough thing to understand, really. Ever since I have heard, ever since I, well nowadays when I read this passage, I always remember an experience I had recently, about six months or a year ago. I was driving home from our church building here to my house, which is not very far away, and I was driving by the Holiday gas station right out here, kind of on County Road F as we're crossing 61, and I pulled up behind a car, and on the back of this car was a bumper sticker. I think we have a, a, an image of it right here. The bumper sticker says, born okay the first time, and then it has that kind of line through the Christian symbol of the fish, and as I take it, this person was no big fan of what Jesus had to say in this particular story. I was born okay the first time, thank you very much. That's one way that we have a challenge with what Jesus says to us. But I have to admit that I actually have some of my own struggles with this teaching. I embrace it as a teaching of Jesus, of course. But I have some struggle to understand how this passage or how it was, how what, Nicodemus, how what Jesus said to Nicodemus applies to my life. As, as I was growing up when I was younger, I have a lot of great Christian background and preparation in my life, a lot of great Christian formation. I, I actually went to a Christian school as I was growing up, all the way from grade 1 to grade 12. So elementary school, middle school, high school. From about the time that I was 5 or 6 years old or so, I went to Sunday school just about every Sunday and worship also with my family. And during that time and those experiences, I learned a lot about the Bible. I learned a lot about God. I, I learned about Jesus during that time. And now in my adult life, I can point back to those things that I was learning at that time and no kidding, every day, every day of my adult life is richer because of those things. The Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's a huge blessing in my life. And in fact, actually, my parents were here in the last worship service. They've been visiting this last week, and I just have to say that they did more for my life than I could ever repay by investing in my life that way. That's a huge gift. And yet, at the same time, when I look back at that time, I have to admit to you, I have to be honest, that all those things that were going on in my life at that point were going on in my head, my young, growing head. They were not going on in my heart. And that became more and more evident as I grew into adolescence and became a teenager, that none of this stuff was making any difference in my heart, in the way that I thought, the way that I felt, in the values that I formed, in the priorities that I was setting. It was not important to me at that level. 
And then one day I had this experience. Together with a small group of Christian friends who had invited me into a small group environment, and God worked through that experience, very simple, nothing particularly magical about the formula or anything like that. But I had an experience of God's grace and an experience of God's call in my life on that day that changed the direction of my life from that day forward. And I did not become immediately perfect after that. In fact, in the last service with my parents here, my mom got up and gave a testimony as to how imperfect I was after that. You all know that I am not perfect now, but there was an undeniable turning point in my life at that point. If there's a, if there's a moment in my life that I would point back to as a, as a born again kind of experience, that would be it. I experienced the measure of God's grace and God's call that, that started a new direction in life for me. And yet, having said that, I also have to admit that there, I struggle with that a little bit because the, there are the ways that we use that phrase most often, the phrase born again, it tends to imply a, a thorough, radical, immediate change that just doesn't really correspond to my lived experience of that event. And so I, I embrace this teaching of Jesus, but I struggle to figure out how it connects with my own life story. And I know I'm not the only one who thinks about this or struggles with this teaching that Jesus gave about being born again. Clearly, there are some people who have no place for it at all. They make fun of it. They make fun of others of us who believe it. And maybe partly we bring that on ourselves. Maybe partly that's because those of us who claim to have been born again don't live lives that are as new and different as you might think or as they ought to be. Or maybe perhaps there's some outright rejection of that because, honestly, it's kind of a hard thing to say. It's a, it's a hard nugget of truth. For Jesus to say, you must be born again, implies that there's something with the life that we were living beforehand that, that did need to be reborn, that maybe everything wasn't okay the first time around. And that's not really something that most of us are real comfortable admitting. We'd like to be able to do things by our own power. We'd like to imagine that things really are doing just fine. We could maybe use a little religion to top off our tank or something like that. But to imagine that we had to experience something so thorough as born again is a little bit insulting to our pride. And so we turn away from those things. I imagine in this room, probably we've got a lot of people here who are maybe a little bit more sympathetic to Jesus' teaching, but at the same time, we have our own kind of struggles with it. Maybe as we were reading that story this morning, or as we've begun to talk about it in both of our worship spaces here, as we've heard that, maybe somewhere along the line, some of you went, I don't know, I wonder if that's happened to me. Have I been born again? Do I need to know when? Did it, did it happen at a certain time? Maybe some of you are wondering if that's happened in your life. Maybe some of you are not wondering so much about the if question, but the what and the how question. What has happened to me? What is it? How has God made me new? How does God work in my life now to make me new? Is, this a, is it a one-time event? Is it kind of an ongoing process? Is there something that I can do to cooperate with that? Can I be a part of that? Can I help make that happen? We wonder what and how God is acting in our lives. Or maybe some of you are in a different place than that. Maybe it's not so much has it happened to me or what's happened to me. Maybe some of you are at a place where it's more like, could that happen to me? Could I experience that? I could use a new start in life. Maybe you're at a place in life where you recognize that you're caught in some destructive patterns. Maybe there's some patterns of thought. Maybe it's patterns of action. But you recognize that they're harmful to you and harmful to other people. And you could use a restart on that. You need a new birth, some new life. Maybe you're here in worship this morning and you're under a pile of guilt. Maybe the shame levels are really high. And I'm glad that you're here to come and hear the good news of God in Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you're at a place where you're thinking, man, I could use a new start in that. I need that. Could that happen to me? We maybe all react to this in a little bit different way. But when Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, Jesus said a powerful thing. He said something that reaches into us in the deepest places of who we are. And it has the potential to be confusing for us, but I think it also has the potential to be life-changing for us. And so what I'd like to do is look at this story together this morning, understand, try to understand what it was that Jesus said to Nicodemus and how those words apply to us in the very different situations of the lives that we live. So if you do have a Bible with you or a phone or electronic Bible of some kind, just turn with me right now to the very beginning of John chapter 3. If you have one of our Quest Bibles, it's on page 1556, and you can just keep this open. I want you to be able to refer to it. We'll read a few verses out of here, and I want you to be able to see what's going on here. The the first thing that I want to clarify about this story, the first thing I hope that we all notice here is that Jesus, Nicodemus is somebody who really needs the new life that Jesus is offering, but he doesn't know it. He really needs it, but he doesn't know it. And to see this most clearly, we actually have to read the very end of the passage that comes right before this. Did, did you all know that when the Bible was written, it didn't have chapter numbers in it yet? There were no verse numbers in it yet? Just one long, continuous story. And sometimes we read the Bible, we get thrown off by the chapter numbers. We just forget everything that came before But the verses right before chapter 3 at the end of chapter 2 are really important for understanding this. In the second half of John chapter 2, Jesus had done something very controversial in the temple in Jerusalem. And we don't need to spend a lot of time on what that is. But just know that it was very controversial. And some people were very inspired by that. They believed in Jesus. They said, I'm on board with that. But there were a lot of people who were opposed to what Jesus was doing. They were nervous about that. And so the crowd had mixed reactions to Jesus. It was around the Passover holiday. So there's a big crowd in Jerusalem. It's a big festival. And the, ver- the last two verses of John chapter 2, they say this. It's John chapter 2, verse 24. It's on page 1556 there still. But Jesus, it says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, to the crowd, for he knew all people. And then this last verse is really key. He did not need any testimony about mankind. He didn't need anyone to tell him how human beings were, for he knew what was in each person. Now just hold there for a second. There's a, there's a word that's a really key word in these verses. And it's, it's a Greek word. I promise there'll be no tests on any of this later. Absolutely promise. But there's a, the Greek word that's being translated here as mankind and person is just sort of the standard word for a human being. The word is anthropos. It's the word from which we get our word anthropology, uh, which means the study of human beings or the study of human cultures. And if I were going to translate this, if we, if we would translate this most literally and directly across the chapter break that wasn't originally there, It would sound like this, and tell me if this sets you up any differently. Jesus, he did not need any testimony about human beings, for he knew what was in each human being. Now, there was a human being of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, right? It sets you up to recognize that Nicodemus is coming into the story in a whole lot of help, in need of a whole lot of help. He's coming into the situation without the ability to really understand or respond to Jesus as he needs to. And Jesus has to meet him in that place. And John even gives us this little detail that we can read right past it. It feels like it's just some coincidence of the story, but it's not. In John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, He, Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus in the darkness. Now, he may have come to Jesus in the physical night, but it's also significant symbolically that he comes to Jesus without being able to see the light. And by the end of the story, a little beyond where we actually read today, about 20 verses after this, Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to come out of the night and come into the light. But Nicodemus comes into the story in, needs of all kind, in need of all kind of help and without the ability to respond to Jesus on his own. And the way that Jesus addresses Nicodemus is strong. 
he begins by telling, telling Nicodemus, who has just said, hey, rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. Nobody else could do this stuff. Jesus says, really? You got that all figured out, do you? Nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He really pushes back on Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, well, how does that happen? What am I born again? What am I supposed to do, get back in my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus has to say to Nicodemus, that's not what I'm talking about. Of course that's not what I mean. I mean that we must be born of water and the Spirit, born of baptism and the gift of God's Spirit. That's what makes us alive before God. And Nicodemus, he doesn't understand that. He says, how can that be? And Jesus says, you're one of Israel's teachers. How can you not understand these things? And Nicodemus remains confused by this. Nicodemus remains largely in the dark. I suspect he was probably even offended by this in some way. Now, I think about that encounter because Nicodemus' story goes on from here, but it doesn't go on right now. That's the end of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus as far as this episode is concerned. I'll tell you what, I think a lot of us start off in the same place. We hear these same words from Jesus and they confuse us or they offend us or we're not in a position to really grasp them yet. And maybe, based on this story, that's not entirely a bad thing. Maybe that's kind of a normal starting place. It's where Jesus started with Nicodemus, and maybe it's where he's starting with us. I mean, I can tell you from my own life experience, I know that I have to go through the process sometimes of being unsettled from one thing that I think before I find that I'm really able to be open and embrace a new thing that God might be doing in my life. And maybe that's going to be the effect of this story in your life right now. Maybe you're stuck in a certain place in your relationship with God, stuck in some kind of assumptions or patterns, and this story is meant to say, God wants to do a new thing. And it's just a little bit confusing and a little bit of of an offending experience at first to shake something loose. I, I certainly don't mean to say that I think that Jesus wants to leave you at confused or leave you at offended or leave me at confused or offended. But it might be that that's one step in the journey. Which leads directly to the next thing that I want you to see about Nicodemus from this encounter. And that is that Nicodemus does later come to receive this new birth that Jesus is talking about. He comes to a new life in in Christ before God. But it's a process when he gets there. It's a process. Nicodemus appears in the Bible in three places in the life story of Jesus. He appears, first of all, right here in this episode that we read together this morning in this sort of nighttime encounter and this confusion. That's the first one. The next time that, Jesus, that Nicodemus appears in the Bible in the life story of Jesus is about halfway through Jesus' ministry. And there are some chief priests and some Pharisees. Nicodemus is one of those Pharisees. And some temple guards. And they're kind of having an argument, kind of a debate. Who is this Jesus? Why, why is he doing the things that he's doing? Is it possible that he's for real? They don't really think that, but how should we respond to him? Why do the crowds respond to him the way that they do? And as part of that conversation, the Bible tells us that Nicodemus pipes up. And he says, well, maybe we should ask him. Maybe we should go ask Jesus about this. He says that in the law, doesn't that provide that somebody like Jesus should give his own testimony in a situation like this? Everybody around Nicodemus kind of shouts him down. They make fun of him. They mock him for being too sympathetic to Jesus. But I think you can see that this encounter that he had with Jesus has gotten in his head. Jesus is in Nicodemus' head at that point, and Nicodemus has questions. And he wants to learn more. He's on a journey. He's in a questioning place. He's in an exploring place. He's not a disciple of Jesus at that point. He doesn't worship Jesus. He doesn't follow him. But he wants to know. Jesus has gotten in his head. And then one last time, Nicodemus appears in the life story of Jesus. And it's way at the end of the story. It's right after Jesus has been crucified. 
Jesus has been killed, but God has not yet raised him from the dead. And Nicodemus and another guy, another leader of the Jewish people, whose name was Joseph, Nicodemus and Joseph go together to, to anoint Jesus' body, to bring perfume and ointments to honor Jesus in a kingly way. 75 pounds of these ointments. It's an incredible honorary royal gift. They come to honor Jesus even in his death. And, and I can't speculate, we can't know all the things that happened in Nicodemus' head and heart along that journey. But somehow this guy got from born again, what are you talking about? Not for me. All the way to wanting to honor Jesus with precious gifts, even in his death. To honor him in a royal and kingly way. Now, we can tell that story of Nicodemus' journey in just a couple minutes. And if you wanted to, you could read the whole story of the Gospel of John and just sit down and read through it. It might take you a couple hours. But the time frame of that story in real life, in Nicodemus's life, he was on a journey that stretched over several years. His born-again experience was not just a moment, but it was also a series of moments stretched over a much longer period of time. I think that's the way that God works in our lives sometimes. And it's the way that God worked in Nicodemus's life in this story. I hope you'll forgive me for this, but I want to just borrow an illustration here from a whole other area of life. I've heard it said that spiritual growth in the Christian life, spiritual growth in the Christian life, some people are like microwaves and some people are like crockpots. Have you heard that somewhere before? Some of us, spiritual growth and spiritual transformation in our lives is, is a rapid, immediate process. It just happens so fast. I and mean, we were there one day and we're over here the next day. Maybe some of you have had experiences like that. Maybe some of you are kind of going through an experience like that right now. For others of us, it just takes a long, long time. It's a long journey full of a series of moments stretched over a long period of time. The question that I think the story wants to ask each of us today, it's not a question of which of those processes is right, but which of those kind of processes do you think you're in with God? Are you in a process that's one of those long, kind of timeful processes? Is it one of those things where you know, you've heard things, read things, learned things about Jesus in your life, maybe over a long period of time, maybe starting a long time ago, maybe starting recently, but you're just kind of starting to think about it. It's brought you to kind of a questioning place, a, an exploring place, a learning place. Maybe you're not done with your journey yet, but you're along the way. Maybe God is in a process of warming you up to discipleship to Jesus over a long process. Or maybe the kind of process that you're in is you're kind of where Nicodemus was somewhere there along the end, toward the end of his journey, where you're at kind of a point of decision, where, where Nicodemus must some, at some point there have gone, man, I've been sitting on the sidelines for a while. Am I in or am I out? And he decided, I'm in. And maybe you're at a point where like, that line has gotten a lot steeper, and it's a moment of transformation, and it's a time of response. I don't know what kind of process do you think you're in. I think for a lot of us who are here today, we might actually find ourselves at a very different point in the process or in the journey from anything that we ever see in Nicodemus' story. For a lot of us who are here today, that time of new birth and new life in our lives was sometime in the past, maybe a little bit recently, maybe a long, long time ago for some of us. And so we have the question, so how does this story about, how does this teaching about being born again apply in our lives with where we are now trying to walk out our lives as disciples of this same Jesus? Well, I'll tell you, as I've thought about this story, it kind of says a couple things to me in that same circumstance. One thing I hear in this story to me is a little bit of a warning not to get too much like Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus was an established member of God's people, 
Nicodemus was a leader among God's people. And Nicodemus was, I think, in a place where he was, it was easy for him to take his relationship with God for granted. There he was. In fact, both Nicodemus and Jesus were Jewish people. They were both Jewish teachers. And they both knew that they had been born, that it was by virtue of their birth, that they were members of the house of Israel, the covenant people of God. But now Jesus says to Nicodemus, that's not enough. You must be born again. It doesn't matter what race you are, what country you are, what nationality you are. None of that matters. What matters is have you received the gift of new life from God in Christ, in Jesus himself. For Nicodemus, I'm sure that was an offending moment. But I find myself asking the question, am I tempted? Do I find myself in the place where Nicodemus was? Am I taking something in my life with God for granted? Am I at all resistant to or not open to the new thing that God wants to do in my life in Christ? But there's a second thing that this story also says to me at, at the place in my life where, where I find myself right now. And, and to tell you about that, I want to show you something. What I'm learning from this passage is that birth is for life, right? The birth is for the life. Birth isn't for birth. Birth is for life. So I brought along something here that I wanted to show you. These file folders right here are files that I took out of our file cabinet in our office at home. And these are the very, these are the very file folders where I keep our family's birth certificates. So there's my daughter's birth certificate right there. My son's birth certificate is right behind here. Here it is. So this is my son's birth certificate right there. These are, I'm very fond of these documents. Actually, these are special documents to me. And they are important legal documents, of course. But can I just ask you a question for a second? Our, our family's birth certificate is right here. How many times do you think in my life I have ever gone into our home office and slid out that file drawer and taken out the file and looked up my own birth certificate just to prove to myself that I'd been born? Not one single time. How many times do you think, and this is a little more plausible, but still not, how many times do you think I had ever gone to that file cabinet and pulled out this drawer, this folder right here, and gotten my daughter's birth certificate and my son's birth certificate and just given it a good hug before bedtime, give it a big squeeze? I didn't do that. Birth is important. You don't get to life without birth, but the birth isn't for the birth. The birth is for life. Birth is for life. So one of the things that this story is challenging me to think about is just in the same way that I would not in my physical life where I have been born and I know that I'm alive, I don't spend any time in my life sitting on the couch and thinking, man, I'm so glad I was born. Just like, just rest there. I get about the business of living the rest of my life. And I enjoy the life that I live with my kids and I try to be a blessing to the people in my lives. I live the life that God has given me. In the same way, in a spiritual way, I, I just don't know why we would spend a whole lot of time sitting around going, okay, good, I was born, I'm all done now. We're not done. Now it's time for us to live the life that God has given us by new birth. To step out and live the lives of faith and hope and love for which God has created us. Birth isn't just for the birth. Birth is for the life. Now I don't know where you find yourself in these processes. Maybe you're way at the beginning. Maybe you're much farther along. Maybe it's a fast one. Maybe it's a slow one. Whatever your journey is like, I do want to make sure that I clarify one last thing here, no matter where you are. And that is that this new birth that Jesus teaches Nicodemus about and teaches us in the Bible about, it is a gift of God's grace. The new birth is a gift of God's grace. In my life, I've had the privilege of being present at two births, the birth of my daughter and the birth of my son. There are a lot of things about that experience that I do not understand because I am not my wife. Thank God for that. But I can tell you one thing for absolutely certain. Those kids did not give birth to themselves. They did not create themselves. 
they did not nurture themselves, they did not give birth to themselves, they did not care and feed themselves, care for and feed themselves after they were born. The life that we receive as human beings, the reason that we are sitting here breathing, hearts beating, taking up space, is because somebody outside of ourselves gave us the gift of life. So also spiritually. We do not give birth to ourselves, we do not manufacture our own spiritual lives. That we are alive before God in Christ is the gift of God's grace in our lives. He has made us alive. And as we sit here today and reflect on God's word together, maybe you are at a place in your journey, whatever that journey is like. Maybe something has recently become unsettled enough in your mind or in your heart. You're at a place where you're ready for that new birth. You're ready for the new birth in you and a gift of God's grace in your life. Maybe it happens because you're trying the best you can. You're struggling to be the best human being, the, the human being that God made you to be, or, or if I can even say it a little bit sharper, the human being that everybody else in your life depends on you to be, and you're doing the best you can under your own power, but it's starting to become obvious that you just can't do it alone, and you're ready for God's power in your life. It's time for a new birth. Maybe you're at a place where you're recognizing that you've made some messes in your life, where you've hurt people, where you've hurt yourself, where you've failed to live up to the expectations that God has for your life, and you need grace. You need the new birth that God offers us in Christ, new life. Or maybe for one reason or another, you're at a place where your mind has begun to reckon more seriously with what happens after the short lifespans that we live on this earth. And you know that you couldn't give birth to yourself in this life, and you sure know that you're not going to be able to create your own life for all eternity. And you're ready for a new birth from God in Christ, a birth that triumphs over death and does not just end with this lifetime, but goes on and on forever. Maybe you're at that place in life. Because birth is for life, but you don't get to life without the birth. And what I'd like to do here is just to create a little bit of space for us to respond to God. I'd like to invite you to receive the gift of new life that God offers us and wants to create in our lives. And as we take this moment to respond, this is not a pressure thing and this is not a manipulation thing. That's not how it is here. This is a grace thing. This is a grace place. And this right now, this moment is a grace time. And so I'd invite you just right now for everybody just to close your eyes and just to look and listen with the eyes and the ears of your heart and to listen for what God is saying in your life. And you don't have to worry about anybody else who's around you right now, but respond to what God is doing in you. And if you're at a place in life where you're ready to depend on God's power, where you want to experience his grace and need to know that forgiveness, where you want to know what God has promised you way past the end of your earthly life, I invite you right now in both, our, both of our worship venues right now to go ahead and raise your hand to God in Christ. This is, this is not for me or anybody else around you. This is for you and God. But just as a physical gesture, as a moment of commitment and receiving what God has for you, to receive new birth and new life in Christ, I pray that God would, would bless you, that God would send his spirit into your life, that he would do a new thing, that he would begin a new day of grace and a new day of power and holiness and a, a new day that begins now and lasts forever in your life. And if, if you want to keep your hands up, if you're ready for God to do a new thing in your life, ready for a new birth, you can keep them up if you'd like or put them down if you'd like, but I'm going to lead us in a receiving prayer right now as we close this time of reflection on God's word. God, we thank you for your powerful gift in our lives. We thank you so much for what you have done in us. And God, I pray 
that you would assure us of your grace. We come before you from our places of brokenness. We come before you from our places of darkness. And we come here to experience your mercy and your forgiveness. We come before you with death hanging off of our lives. And you give us new life. And God, I pray for each of us here today that you would blow the power of your Holy Spirit like a fresh wind into our lives. Make us new, give us new life. God, I pray that you would bring us from night to light by your power. In Jesus' name we pray.